Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, whatever time it is that you're listening to uh, our podcast today. Welcome along to another episode. My name's Matt Walsh, joined as always, Jake Michaels. Uh, Jake, a long, long weekend of footy. Uh, what did you make of that? Uh, I thought it was pretty good for the most part and glad to see Tex Walker kick another bag. I think some people think <laughs> I'm against Tex, but I was I am critical of him because he, he probably, we were talking about potential before, but... He probably hasn't quite lived up to his potential in the last couple of years, but it's good to see him back. I mean, we want to talk about key forwards and bags, and three weeks in a row, he's probably been just about the best player on the ground. I really, really like how you're getting on the front foot here because we're probably going to get into you again. That call that you made after round one, that he wouldn't kick another bag of five, well, he's got to kick two. He's got two in a row since then. He's leading the Coleman. Is he, actually, yeah. hold on. Is he leading the Coleman? He is. He's, he's the new, no? yeah. new yeah. favourite to win the Coleman medal, which is... Um, I don't think many people would have thought that at the start. Certainly not me. Otherwise, I wouldn't have made that call. No, no. You're a bit of egg on the face, uh, unfortunately, for you, Jake. Uh, Christian Jolly from Champion Data, welcome along. You, too, have had a bit of a mare because last week you said that we might have seen the end of blowouts because of these uh, these new rules and the way that games are ending out. And looking at the weekend's action, we probably had about five of them. Uh, I'll, I'll just clarify. I said, oh. we'll see, I'll, I said we'll see fewer blowouts. Um, but as I said, that's already probably blown up in my face because, um, yeah, I didn't expect it to um, play out as way, the way it was. But it sort of did show, yeah, my call was probably bad because it showed that the way the game is being played in the openness, if one team doesn't bring it, which we saw a couple of teams just not not at their best on the weekend, they got overran quite quickly and, yeah, put to bed quite quickly too. So, no, not the greatest call by mine, but I didn't say they were going to be eradicated. I just thought there'd be fewer of them. I don't think the games were not entertaining. I think, um, Jake, you and I have been talking throughout the week that about the Good Friday game where you kind of barrack for the yarn in, in a sense that um, Josh Bruce edging towards 10 goals, even though they were winning by 100 points, you kind of find yourself getting really uh, into the action and, and hoping that someone like Bruce can get to that magical 10 point. Yeah, and I think it don't, you don't have to be a Bulldogs fan, a North fan, a you know you don't have to have you don't have to love Josh Bruce. He just when he's got eight goals in the last quarter and there's still time left, I think any footy fan wants to see a player kick ten. I think we we love seeing that. It's one of those moments you 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 kind of tune in for to to see. But I guess my where I sit is I don't want it to get to the point where and we'll talk about this a little bit more later, but. I don't want to get it to get to the point where we're seeing it happen every second or third week because I think it cheapens the achievement. I think we should – these 10-goal hauls should only happen maybe twice a year, not every second week. <laughs> twice a year. Okay, well, we'll we'll let you know when the next one's likely to happen. How about that? Um, look, sounds good. It sounds like to me that I'm just not going to make a, a big call for the rest of the year because anytime someone makes a pretty decent call on this well, I was going to say because you <laughs> – we are at least making the calls. You're just sitting there knocking out us for making the calls. You're not making any calls. Well, maybe maybe I'll make a, a really big call and say that Gold Coast will win one game for the year. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how we go. Hey, before we do jump into another big episode, because there is, as always, a lot to talk about, uh, something from the weekend that might not get the attention that it deserves. Jake, can you kick us off? Oh, I, don't, I don't think it really deserves much attention, but something I did notice is... Just how much longer the games feel like they're going. And I, I think it prob- I probably noticed it in the North uh, Doggies game, which had a lot of goals that we just touched on. Um, it felt like it had been going for about two hours and it was only halfway through the second quarter. And I think there are games feel a lot longer, up, particularly after last year where we had the shortened quarters and now we still have the 
bigger gaps between a goal being kicked and the ball being bounced. So when we've got a lot of goals in a game, as we did that one and a few others over the weekend, mm. gee, the games really do drag on quite a bit, especially when it's a blowout. It's almost like Wednesday's ending. Yeah, I think you're right, especially when you're at grounds. Uh, it's very noticeable because the players are set. They're ready to go. The umpire is ready to go. The umpire is just looking at the screen because there's a countdown cock, clock. Um, pardon me. Uh, there's a countdown clock, which <laughs> is uh, is counting down until they're allowed to bounce the ball. So uh, it's kind of this sort of lull. And if you know teams are trying to get a run on, and we'll talk about m- momentum a little bit later in the podcast, um, it kind of just sort of kills the vibe a little bit. But uh, I know exactly what you mean. Christian, uh, something we won't get time to cover in depth from the weekend. Uh, yeah, it was, as you mentioned off the top of the podcast, it was a long, long weekend of footy. Um, probably quick one I noticed is how good was it to have all nine games separated? So able to watch every game. That, that's just a perfect uh, layout of the fixture. But now I probably saw the uh, best game I've seen for the season so far played on the weekend. Um, and it was on Saturday, Collingwood North Melbourne out at Vic Park, the AFLW uh, semi-final, might not have been semi-final, I think it was a qualifying final. Uh, but yeah, just it was an awesome game. Again, Collingwood sort of took a three-goal lead. North came back in the second quarter. We're up by three goals at three-quarter time, and Collingwood came back in the final quarter to win. Um, and again, yeah, just being a final. I know it's you know finals footy in April, but it felt like a finals game. You could see how much it meant, and it was yeah, it was really enjoyable to watch. Certainly a lift in the intensity, and I think just the quality of football this year uh, from from the women has been outstanding. I mean. I feel bad for a lot of fans who wrote the competition off in its infancy uh, because of, you know, poor skills or, um, you know, slow scores or whatever, because they're not reaping the rewards of what has become a really, really important uh, and, and fantastic league to watch. And I think you're absolutely spot on. And, and this year is heading towards uh, a grand final, which will be extremely watchable and uh, worth tuning in for. Absolutely. Um, oh, something I noticed, um, kind of weird one, but Luke Shuey, who's come back from a hamstring injury, has now re-injured his hamstring and Adam Simpson says it's probably another three-week injury, uh, which is terrible news for Eagles fans and terrible news for, for Shuey, for Luke Shuey, um, who's, a, who's a great player of the competition. But what I noticed when he was trying to hobble off uh, to get his injury looked at, he received the ball. Uh, was it a mark or a freaky? I can't remember. But what I noticed was he was trying so hard to hand pass it off because he didn't want to kick the ball. Uh, and he had a player sort of, you know, with his opponent trying to get get close enough and, and Shuey hand pass the ball. The umpire says, no, 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 bring it back. He's too close. you got to take your kick. And Shuey sort of looks at him and, and sort of points at his leg and goes, I'm injured. And the umpire makes him take his kick. And so he has to kick it 15 metres backwards to, to a teammate, um, which I just thought was extremely bizarre because wouldn't... I don't know if, if the umpire should show more discretion and say, all right, we'll give the kick to someone else or Shuey should have just put the ball on the ground and hobbled off and the umpire might've got the idea. But I thought that was quite strange uh, in that West coast Port Adelaide game. No, I, I don't mind that. I think the umpire's done the right thing there because think about this. If this happens in the last seconds of a game where a player takes a mark 30 meters out from goal, but you, he's not a strong kick for goal. And you can say, Oh, well, I'm going to limp off injured and I'll get Tomahawk to take the kick. No, you've, you've, it's your kick. I, I think the umpire has done the right thing by making him take his kick. But Otherwise, if, if you are lining up and you are injured, you can have other players take the kick. It has it's happens before. There's precedence for it. Yeah, but you can't just be... But he's injured. <laughs> he was still able to take the kick. He wasn't concussed to the point where he couldn't take his kick or, or hand pass the ball. He was able to... You don't agree. And the thing okay. is, if you can't take your kick, you can't. You should not be able to return to the ground. Well, if I think you, the, the point was he was trying to make his way off the ground because it was right in front of the interchange. It was gates. what it was, it was. It was two meters from the from the interchange. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, anyway, hey, uh, plenty to chat about. Um, big bags of goals. We kind of talked about it off the top. Uh, we had the 10 from Bruce. We had seven goals, five from Harry Mackay. Could easily have been two players that, that kicked uh, kicked 10. Maybe even Tex, if he'd kicked straight, because I think he had uh, nine shots on goal as well. So he was pretty close. So, Christian, I know you last week you told it's, us to sort of nine, hold out. It's 9-10. Oh, it's close. You, you know, you clear out the forward line if he gets to eight, don't you? You sort of, yeah. you do the buddy you do the buddy thing and you just, uh, when he's close to 100 goals, you just tell everyone else to get out and have a one-on-one. Well, you do the Alistair Clarkson thing where you put everyone on your it's team on. And, too uh... soon. Too soon. <laughs> old, Kev. Um, but we almost had two in one round. So do we still need to hold, hold, our, hold our horses, Christian? Because we're kind of seeing that, players are getting off the uh, off the chain a bit and kicking big bags yeah you're right i sort of hosed it down a little bit last week and another probably one that sort of blew up in my face one week later is all these um big key forwards kicking bags but i'll still argue that you know we there's still other key forwards that haven't kicked a bag yet you know still haven't seen the best of tomahawk um i think tom lynch you know might have got a three or four this year so it's not like every key forward in every game is kicking a lot of bags so it's still to me it comes down to the one number i can you know clearly see that's up is the number of inside 50s and the quality of inside 50s. So um, talked about, you know, there's 40, talk about inside 50s, there's 53 per game. 47 of those are actually kicked. So you can either, you know, you can run the ball over the 50 metre line to get an inside 50 or handball it in. They're sort of treated a little bit differently, but actually kicking it from the midfield into the forward line, 47 times per game with a 49% mark success rate from those kicks. We've been down at about 46, 47 percent. Is, is, is that 49 percent any mark, or or you're retaining the ball? That could be a yes, turnover. Sorry, your, yeah, sorry, your no, your teammate mark. So um, yeah, the, I think yeah. yeah. So again, it's um, it's always been about 46 percent. So it's always been you know almost you know one in two. Um, but yeah, getting even closer this year, and it's back up to the 2000. It was this high in 2016. Um, and again, in 2016, we were sort of seeing about 48 kicks inside 50. So again, it's not a, a historical high. It probably goes back to 2016. But looking at that year, we had three guys kick 80 goals that year. Mm. Um, I just I remember the final series, one of the great final series we had. Bulldogs ended up winning. Um, so again, that was probably a forgotten season. Of probably that was the last year we did see some good attacking footy, and it's probably gone a bit more congested since then. Um, so yeah, definitely the delivery inside 50 is improving and. Uh, players are able to hit easier kicks inside there, which again should benefit the key forwards. We just haven't seen it, um, you know, the full evidence of it after round two. A little bit more evidence this week, clearly, that it's happening. And the other number to me, again, that should stack up for key forwards is we're seeing, we've already seen 171 lead marks taken in the forward 50 this year. So that's a guy um, out sprinting a direct opponent to take a mark. I mean, I know last year was a shortened season, it was down at 94. Uh, 131 in the first three rounds of 2019, 152 um, in 2018. So we're about 20, 30, 40 up from previous years in the first three rounds. So clearly the guys that can get out onto the lead are finding more space to yeah. actually get out onto the lead. And the guys with the ball are actually finding the kicks a bit easier because of the man on the mark rule to hit those guys on the lead. So, yeah. uh, but again, yeah. yeah, again, some of the guys that kicked big bags of goals on the weekend, they weren't necessarily all from lead marks either. So, you know, I think they did it different ways. Josh Bruce kicked a couple from outside 50, took a couple of big, you know, strong grabs in the goal square. Um, Harry McKay is another one we talk about. He's very, very good on the lead, um, but he also took a few good one-on-one marks. So it's going to come down to, yeah, as I said, defence is um, a lot more one-on-one defence. So if you just get hot on your opponent for the day, um, which we saw a couple of you know guys on the weekend do, it's, it's just going to be hard to stop um, because you don't get to be, you know, stack three guys in front of them and just plug that hole anymore. That's harder to do um, because of the way the ball is 
zipping and moving up and down the field. I mean, do we need both... to have a look? Go on, Jake. Do we need to have a look at uh, the opponents that were on Mackay? <laughs> yeah, uh, we do. I was about to say the uh, same thing. Yeah, because again, we can't we can't cheapen the the Bruce achievement, and and again, Mackay probably could have on another day. He does kick ten. He was a little bit um, wayward with some of his shots, but. Let's be honest, it uh, wasn't the strongest defenders that were defending these two throughout the, those two games. No, yeah, so uh, Brennan North. Cox has been, you know, thrown forward at times. He's been thrown back. He's been thrown into the ruck. And then I think Ethan Hughes tried to give him a chop out on Mackay. Robbie Tarrant's missing for North Melbourne. So you're kind of down to your second string. Ben Mackay, I think, was on um, uh, Bruce at, at times. And that's not a great matchup, which, you know, Bruce kind of exploited. And then Bruce just, he didn't have a, he didn't have a direct opponent where you looked at him and thought, geez, he's going to trouble him. So it was kind of no surprise that he got loose and, and you get a few early, um, like he did in, in the first quarter, and, and everything just sort of snowballs from there. Sorry, Christian, you were going to say? No, I was just going to say with the North one, yeah, they've always been there. Defence has been the easiest to score against since the start of last year. So, again, um, a lot of teams have been able to score quite easily once they got inside 50. But, again, towards the end, as you, as you sort of said, the Bulldogs sort of wasn't overly over the top go out of their way to find Josh Bruce, but you just knew we've, we've got a hold on their defense here. We can pick and choose our targets. And more often than not, when they realized Josh Bruce was on his fifth and sixth and seventh goals, like, Hey boys, let's keep looking for him. So there was a little bit of a chicken in the egg. You know, he, he the, both of those guys started to get hit up more once they realized that the teammates field up the field realized, well, Harry's got the, you know, got the wood on Brendan Cox here and Josh Bruce is, you know, going to mark everything we kick towards him. Um, yeah. Again, those defenses are going to have to fix themselves you know, quickly to not, have, not let that happen again. Jake, are we going to see a 100-goal goal kicker this year? Oh, I feel like we talk about this every year. Um, we were talking about with Jeremy Cameron. Well, he hasn't he hasn't played yet. So no. um, there goes my Coleman medal prediction. Uh, if I'd known he was going to miss three rounds, so we know if he's playing this week. <laughs> um, <laughs> point. I don't think we will. Because I think to, to Christian's point, yeah, we, we saw a 10 and we saw a 7 and we've seen tech. But... T- Tex is really the only one that's done it three weeks in a row. We haven't seen a bag from from Hawkins. We haven't seen a bag from Lynch. Um, they're two of the guys that probably the two that you'd expect to be battling, battling it out for the Coleman this year. So Carly Dixon as well. I mean, I think we're going to see players probably when they can get hold of their opponents. They We will probably see a few more eight, eight eight goals in a game kicked, but I don't, I, I still think a hundred goals over a year. It's a tall order. I, I don't think we're going to see that this year. Mm, last time we saw it was 13 years ago. So we have to go back a little while to, uh, to, to witness that. And, and even that, I think it was the last round of the game that the last round of the year that, that Bud eventually got the hundred, if you, if I'm correct. It was. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's two mentions of that game in the, in the first 15 minutes of this podcast. <laughs> pertinent. Um, yeah. let's, let's move on. I know that champion data likes to work in black and whites when it comes to stats and um, everything sort of needs to be quite absolute or, or definitive, but you always hear commentators and fans talking about how team X has the momentum at this point of the game, or if you can just swing the momentum and quick, quick, get a quick goal, you can get back into this match and, and all this sort of stuff. So having sort of thinking uh, at the start of this very long, long weekend, um, can we ask champion data if there's a way to quantify momentum? Because like, if, if, if you were to ask me, I'd probably say stuff like having a high uncontested possession rate, but also a high pressure gauge, because it means you're in control of the ball. And it means when you're not in control of the ball, the opposition is under the pump, which would sort of equate to more possession, more inside 50s, more goals. Christian, can we kind of get a hold of what momentum is in terms of stats? Is it possible to do this? 
Um, again, it's probably been yeah an ongoing um, discussion and battle within not just Champion Data's four walls, but probably the industry and sport itself is what is momentum. Um, we've had plenty of people you know come up with ideas for a momentum gauge, so you can see who's got the momentum. But again, it. It, 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 we haven't nailed it. We haven't got knocked, knocked it on the head. But just to go back to one of your points, uncontested possessions and pressure factor. Um, again, you could look at games where guy teams that just can't find anything forward are just chipping around the midfield and defence and just not actually attacking. Is that momentum that you've had 20 uncontested marks in a row? Yep. And the three times that you've kicked it out of bounds, it's gone to a boundary stoppage. So your pressure's high, but you've won the stoppage and you've gone backwards and done nothing with it. So we've always struggled a bit in terms of, yeah, you can have momentum, but it's not always momentum on the scoreboard that teams are trying to look for. Like you, you can have, you know, five goals run-ons and that's the clear, easy momentum. But there's sometimes where it's just like, well, we know Richmond have, you know, scored from their last 10 inside 50. So if we can keep them to three inside 50 in this last 15 minutes, that's how we get our momentum going. And, and it's not easy to tell by, you know, just looking at, looking at it by eye. So mm. no, we haven't got a magic number for momentum. And I sort of, took your question and thought, well, how can I sort of, you know, how will we look at what, again, because we're looking at competition-wide, we're not trying to coach a team to a premiership, so we don't need to look at a, you know, like Collingwood, Nathan Buckley looks at the 40 players he has on his list and what he's going to get out of them. We're looking at his competition whole. What What is happening in the game that seems to be, you hold you in good stead to win a quarter. So what we do is, again, we break everything down to um, winning a certain stat and how often do you win that quarter. Sort of looks at what teams are doing, what, what stats are important to each team or across the competition to actually get in front for that one quarter, which is, again, a, a good way for momentum to be um, sort of looked at because you, you always talk about it, the, the quarter-time break, yeah, yeah. quarter break can't come quick enough to cut this <laughs> momentum or, you know, they would be really looking, you know, the halftime siren has killed their momentum or something like that. So yeah. just looking at stats within quarters, you've got your obvious ones. Um, again, they all stack up across the match as well. So metres gained, causation versus correlation. The team that has more metres gained in a quarter this year wins the quarter 86% of the time. But again, that's obviously because you've got more of the ball. The, the ultimate end point is the goal, and that's the maximum, you know, from wherever you start with to kicking a goal, that's the maximum. I was going to say, game. shouldn't it be yeah. like 99%? <laughs> well, yeah, correct. It's not actually that high because, you know, probably, um, again, this is to win the quarter, so there might be a couple of drawn quarters this year that, that yeah. take that number out and things. But 86% is still quite high for the first three rounds. Uh, effective metre gain is probably a surprise one for me. That's only 76%. So, again, you don't. Just you just need to forward. have more. Yeah, you need to have more meters gained really than the effective meters gained going by that stat. Um, but yeah, things that have just hold steady for a few years. Disposals uh, were at seventy three percent in two thousand seventeen, dropped to about seventy percent last year, back up to seventy two percent of you know have more disposals when the quarter seventy two percent of the time. Contested possessions always been around seventy to sixty eight percent this year. Inside 68 percent. So again, don't need more entries. Um, to necessarily win a quarter. But again, all these are good stats because they're all, you know, up at 60, 70%, which is quite a higher correlation. Uh, but the ones that sort of, again, that standing out for this year that are, that are clearly changed in trends from previous years is the one that we've already talked about, the mark on leads. So again, the teams that are taking more lead marks across the quarter have won the quarter 66% of the time. Um, and it's been about 58, 59% in previous years. So a good six or 7% jump up. Is that is that unusual to see such a, a large jump year on year or year to year? Like um, I know that over five years it might sort of look at, you know become a six percent raise or a six percent decline, but in one year is that unusual to see such a stark it, difference? Maybe depending on rule changes and you know I think, I'm sure we would have seen it with other stats, but for this is such as it's just a one type of mark you can get. Like we've got uncontested yeah. marks, you know, lead marks are a subset of uncontested marks, and you've got contested marks and things like that. 
So it's, it's as I said, there's been 171 forward 50 lead marks. So, you know, there's probably more around the ground, but it's not like these things are happening 200 times, 300 times per game. Yeah. Um, so I it guess is, it means you're getting shots on goal that are not under any pressure whatsoever. Whereas yeah, if, you're getting, is, if you're banging the ball in and, and you're trying to crumb a goal, you, you, the, the pressure factor is going to be quite a lot higher on the kick and therefore you're probably not going to, you know. Yep, uh, and this is also looking at just at the whole field. So again, just being able to get the way that the 45 kick's been, you know, taken a bit more and the guy stand on the mark, if you can actually get out on a lead into space rather than kicking to a one-on-one contest and having to win it that way, if you can get, keep getting lead marks up the field, that's what good teams are doing. So again, being able to control the ball and move the ball, um, you know, not, not necessarily get at that final kick inside 50, but just, yeah, lead marks where a guy's pushed up from centre-half forward onto the wing and received a kick-in or something from a... Right, one, so it's two, not exclusive three, so. to just leading up to have it in there. No, so correct. Right. The first stat I gave you, the number that I was quoting about the 171, that was just looking at forward line lead marks. Yes. But again, this stat here is just whoever takes more lead marks across the ground wins the quarter uh, 66% of the time. Another one that's probably taken a couple of years to get up to where the AFL probably wanted it to is centre bounce clearances. Uh, so 2017, 55% of the time you won that, you won the quarter, 52% the next year, up to 63% this year. So it was 57 last year. Um, and I know we had the 666 mm. rule for a few years now, but it seemed like the 666 rule really made a difference this year. If you can get it out of the centre first, uh, win more centre bounce clearances, you're going to win six out of ten quarters. That's um, the one that know, probably surprises so. me a lot is how you, you'd think that would be higher than it is. You'd, and not just this year, but going back, it's almost, as you say, it's almost 50-50. You can win more of the centre clearances and advance the ball from... You'd think if you'd think that was that would be just about one of the most important parts of the game, winning a centre clearance. Yeah, and again, you, you sort of look at it, and we looked at West Coast last year. I think nineteen percent of their scores came from centre bounce clearances, which is you know one in five. That's a, that's a lot. The rest of the competition is about eleven or twelve percent. So you're not, especially when you look at the scoreboard and points returned from your centre bounce clearances, they're awesome to have. They're, they're, they're almost like bonus points. If you can kick three goals from centre bounce clearances where you're only sort of banking on kicking, you know, 10 points or so, but you've ended up with 18, 20 points, they're, they're the bonus points you get in a game, I feel, is the kick, the, the scores from centre bounce clearances. And, again, they're easy to they're easy on the eye. They're easy to commentate yeah. when they happen. You know, everyone says, oh, well, this is this is the difference in the game. They're taking it at the centre. But sometimes it's only one or two goals that really can get you ahead in the game from that source. That might be another thing, though, and another unquantifiable sort of thing. But like the the lift you get from a goal from a centre bounce, like it, it, you know, you can sort of toil away for five ten minutes chipping it around, and then eventually find a kick and then kick a goal. But if someone streams out of the middle, hits up, you know, leading forward fifteen meters out straight in front, or just goes themselves and kicks it from fifty, like it, it pumps up the team. And, and I know you can't sort of quantify that as well, but um, you know, if you can get three or four of those a game, maybe it does just sort of lift sides you know and and it slips them into the fifth gear in, in, instead of fourth gear and and then their momentum or their you know they can get a run on um and they're in control of the game like i mean i know you can't really quantify it but you can kind of look at the type of goals that they're kicking and say yeah that lifts me that makes me you know come on boys let's let's get up and about yeah which not only does it lift you but i think it also does the opposite for the other team where you yeah agree starting to feel a bit like so if you're a defender and you know we're just talking about josh bruce marking everything if the balls come in all of a sudden you're getting more nervous so you're more likely to probably put your arm around him or or 
or yeah. um, you've got you've got your finger raised and you're putting me off. You're about to say something. <laughs> well, no, we saw in round two. I think Collingwood had five inside fifties and four goals from their first five inside or four, four scoring shots yeah. from their first five inside fifties, and they were streaming out of the middle. This is against Carlton two weeks ago. Sorry. Yeah. Um. So you can kind of see that if you do, if you can score from those sorts of forays, you you're on the front foot. Yeah, and you're going to naturally be you're going to be able to run faster and tackle harder if um, if you're in a good position and you're getting a run on than you are if you're down by six goals. Hmm. I think naturally you ask any player, you know, you're, you're probably going to have more of a second wind if, you're, if you've got a run on as opposed to if you're trying to come back in a game. It's going to be much harder. Absolutely. Uh, any other stats that jump out at you, Christian? Yeah, well, this one, again, I can't put my finger on exactly how and why and the what-ifs, but again, this is probably just good for footy if this number stays up and coaches keep playing to this. So coming out of your defensive 50 via the corridor. So we have three sort of lanes on a footy field. You can use the corridor, uh, the wings, or the boundary. Um, And a lot of conservative teams, obviously, previous years, coming out of the back line, it's use the wing, hit the boundary, long down the line, those sort of things. Um, We're actually seeing this year teams using the corridor a little bit more, but the good news is if you use the corridor coming out of your back line more than your opposition across quarter, you win 65% of the time. So Mm. keep going, you know, Jake's sort of saying those numbers aren't as high as, you know, they're not 80 and 90% type numbers, but 65%. The previous four years before this, I'll just quote some numbers, 46%, 49%, 49%, 48%. So the teams previously that were doing this were more, more often than not losing the quarter. Teams that are coming out through the corridor and taking the game on from the back 50 are actually winning quarter 60 65% of the time. So, again, if coaches lead. look at that number and can sort of, yeah, continue to coach that way, we're going to keep seeing this exciting footy and this sort of, uh, uh, you know, helter-skelter stuff out of the back line. And, again, it's so easy on the eye to watch when teams, <laughs> teams are trying to use the corridor because, you know, they could pull something off through the middle. But, again, if they turn it over... The opposition's also on fire here and they could go back. Whereas if they go down the boundary line and a spoil happens, it rolls out of bounds and it's a reset and that's when footy gets a bit hard to watch. I think the more the ball's played in the corridor, the more footy is watchable. So um, this is a good stat to keep an eye on. But, yeah, it's it's amazing that it's had such a big jump. I think it's Something pretty... very noticeable in the Easter Monday game, not, certainly not with the Cats, but with the Hawks. So I think every time they had the ball at, um, you know, sort of, half back on the boundary or on the wing, which is also interesting. I'd like to know where the cutoff from boundary to boundary to the wing is. How far do you guys consider I'd the boundary? To, I'd have to get the data guys in here. So we've got dimensions for every ground and it's all based on X and okay. Y coordinates and angles. So it won't be just the MCG and uh, Skill Stadium. They'd have different sizes of wings, yeah. if yeah. that makes sense. So, But um, no, with the Hawks yesterday, they just constantly were looking for that kick into, into the middle, like to the point where the umpire would be yelling play on and they'd be still looking for that kick and they it wouldn't be on and they'd have to then go down the line. It was almost like it was such it was such a contrast to the way Geelong were playing. Um, and as you say, it's good. I wonder if the, the new stand rule has meant that it's easier 100%. now for, for once you get the ball into the middle to be able to then bang, go straight through because you've got more options and the man yeah. on the mark basically is, is a statute. I think um, in, in previous years, when you're looking at those 48 to 49% of the numbers, I think the times when teams were actively trying to go from their back half through the corridor was when they were under pressure, when they were down and then yeah. when they had to get quick goals. And so maybe that's why those numbers are quite low. Whereas now the incentive is to do that. The incentive is to sort of go through the middle. Um, and maybe that's why you see it like it's a 15% jump. It's, it's a massive, massive jump. Mm. Um, and, you know, if, if the 65% numbers are the ones that are, 
winning you quarters, coaches must be identifying this and saying, let's do it because teams are doing it and they're doing it really well. Yeah. Um, the one I want you to, this is interesting. You've sort of ticked me off, but I, I've got a theory. This is not my red ball, yellow ball theory though, Jake. You can. Is this, um, this going to be a bold prediction from you that we can <laughs> then look back on next week? <laughs> well, no, well, maybe, but Christian, I wonder, this is without notice. So you might need to come back to us next week with this one, but with the stand rule and the way that teams are looking inboard, is it making more sense for teams to switch their wingers in that if they've got a left foot winger, normally they like to sort of traverse the boundary line as a safety sort of, you know, you want your left foot on the outside so they can kind of kick it, you know, along the line instead of inboard. Because if you look looking inboard, you're kind of wrong footed a little bit. Whereas if you had your right foot on the left wing coming out of defense, you can quite easily then turn inboard and that kick becomes a lot easier. Have you noticed, have you guys noticed that at all, that, that right footed wingers, playing more on the left wing because that kick has become more of an advantage for teams? No, I haven't, have not looked into that at all. So again, we, we track um, what foot everyone kicks with and we track where everyone's starting at centre bounces. So I'm sure I could pull something together for you, but it's an interesting theory and something, no, I, I haven't noticed or thought about too much, but probably something I could work out, yeah, where, where teams are mm. lining up their left footers and right footers same compared with, to Same with years. flankers as well, because you could, you know, you could make the same argument that once you get to the back flank-ish, um, you should be looking inboard. And, and the quickest route, if, if you're on the left flank coming out of your defence, is to then have a right footer turning to their left to go to the middle. I know this is great radio, but um, <laughs> if you can sort of visualise what I'm sort of saying, it, it makes more sense if you are willing to take the risk on that corridor kick. Yeah, you make you make the well. The first instinct is to sort of turn onto your preferred foot, and yes. you know you put them on the opposite wing, and that gives them the natural instinct of the first way they're going to turn is inboard, and they're going to yeah. go in corridor. So it, it makes sense, but yeah, probably something. I don't know you could be ahead of the game here. We'll find out, <laughs> but I'll, I'll try to um, dig out the numbers for you and see if uh, if things haven't changed. But um, maybe we'll pull out I the numbers. I feel like this and... is turning into a bit of a pre-pod meeting, but I, I reckon we should do something on um, the best players on their wrong foot, like the players that you can't tell. I'd yeah, love to I know like that. This. Yeah, yeah. The best players who kick, who the players that kick with both feet, because you see some. Not going to name any names. Tom Phillips, but uh, <laughs> there are a few that just don't want to kick on their wrong foot. <laughs> yeah, we, we we track all that. So um, yeah, how you kick and your kick rating on each foot. So again, I'm you know I won't go digging into the spreadsheet there, but that's something I've got easily accessible that we can go through. But Tom Mitchell, us uh, Tom Mitchell, Sam Mitchell was always the one for yeah. us. Um, so your dominant foot or your preferred foot is the foot you kick with the most. His preferred foot changed about three times across his career because one year it'd be 51% on his left and the next year it'd be 51% on his right. Um, so, yeah, he was he was quite cheeky with both feet. I think um, to the top of my head, still side bottoms, probably still up there. He's always, he's always been number one. He's always up, up around 40 42%, so he can do it a fair bit. Uh, but you'd be surprised. It's probably comp average of... Yeah, 10, 15 percent. It's not often that really? people turn and use their opposite foot. But yeah, no, maybe we could we do definitely a, deep, a dive deep dive on that and then deep dive on the effectiveness of those 10 percent that you do on your wrong foot. Because there might be players that are unwilling to do it but are really good at it. Anyway, we're getting we're getting ahead of now ourselves. Now everyone knows what's on the pod next week. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in next week. Um, let it let's move on. Uh that was that was quite good. Momentum's an interesting one, and I know it's hard to quantify, but um, some of those stats are quite interesting and it makes a lot of sense as to why teams are winning quarters this year when it comes to some of those stats. Jake, um, you've just disappeared off my screen there for a second. You're back. How are you going? Yeah, what's going on? Uh, if you uh, polled... No, I just had something at my feet that I wasn't sure what it was. So <laughs> carry on. <laughs> I've got a question for you. Um, if you polled 1,000 footy fans at the start of the season, who the yep. highest scoring side would be three weeks into the season... 
How many of those thousand footy fans would have picked Sydney? Oh, I reckon you might get one, one maybe. One Nuffy. One one Sydney Nuffy that's that's gone the Swans or someone who's done a um who was it that picked Nathan Broad? Was it Lee Matthews? Yeah. <laughs> <Nathan> <laughs> <Broad>? <laughs> hey, you've got someone that just picked the pressed the, the wrong, wrong team. button. <laughs> uh, surely not many. Um yeah. I don't think I think that was probably the especially with Buddy only playing one of the three games. Um yeah, I look. I mean, what are we going to say about the Swans? It hasn't already been said. They look. They look so good. They've they've been great to watch. Um, the forward line's working well. They've they've got a beautiful mix of experienced players through their midfield and the youth as well. And they're looking as good as anyone in the first few games. Well, Christian, you've taken a look at some of the the stats and and um, surrounding Sydney and their start to the season. So, what have you noticed? Yeah, so even just touching on the players, so at the moment for the first three rounds, I've had 12 players that rank either elite or above average in their position. So that's that's half the people on the field that are running around for them at the moment are better than, you know, the rest of the guys that are playing in the same position. So that's, you know, general forwards. They've got four of the top 10, Goulden 6th, Papley 17th, 8th, and uh, Wicks is 10th. Uh, you got Tom Hickey, who's the fourth-rated Ruckman, behind Natanui, Gorn and Grundy this year. Um, so yeah, the, what a pickup! That's been. a what a great pickup that has been. I mean, and, and he's hitting the scoreboard too, which is critically important as a ruckman because it's it's free free money, free goals. And if you're getting goals out of your ruckman uh, as well as your forwards and, and your mids when they're pushing forward, it's just it just adds up to a winning combination. Yeah, he's been he's been really really good. Um, you know, and even blokes like Ollie Ollie Florence, um, eighth for wingers. Tom McCartan's, I mean, fifteenth for key defender. It's not as high as some of the others, but again, he's just. What is it? Second or third year in, yeah. in the key defensive post, and I, I've always looked at him. I, I, you know, whether we want to make another big call, I think he's just got all Australian key defender written all over him. He's going to at least make one team, and I could see that from his first game down there. Just, just the ability he has overhead and the ability to stay with his opponent um, is quite good. But yeah, looking at Sydney as a team, the other thing is they've they've nailed footy in twenty twenty one. So number one for scoring from turnovers. Um, 84 points per game they're getting from turnovers. So they're scoring more from turnovers than most teams are scoring from all sources across the game. Uh, and then you look at clearances, 17th for scores from clearances, 17, uh, sorry, 15th for scores from clearances, points from clearances, 17th for scores from clearances differential. So similar to what we're seeing with Richmond, clearances is 20% of the game. Let's put some bodies in there, try to win the ball. If we lose it and the other team, you know, we, we don't want to lose it too often, but the, when they are losing it, the other team's been able to score that way. But they're just not conceding scores from turnovers, which is, again, 70%, 80% of the game. So if you're if all your energy is going into the turnover side of game, it's usually stacked up pretty well for teams. Mm. Um, and as I said, yeah, so they've also got the, what we talked about, the bonus points. So they're not great around around the ground clearances, but they got 20 points per game straight out of centre bounces as well, which is the most of any team. So those 20 bonus points, they're, they're awesome on turnovers. So get them in general play and they've been the best team at it. Um, but they've also, yeah, been able to kick, you know, three goals per game from straight out of the centre, which, as I said, you, they're the bonus goals that you sort of, you know, you don't you don't see a lot of centre bounces across a game. Yeah. Um, so you probably wouldn't put a lot of work into that in midweek. Um, but, yeah, to be able to kick those scores has been very good. Criticism of the Swans maybe in previous years has been a bit one-paced in the midfield and, and coming off those sort of like the half-back line. But they really seem to have found a bit of extra pace uh, and, and, like, some of these numbers are just there. I mean, where have they found like folks like Chad Warner and, and I know that Golden and Wicks and they've just, it's plug and play. And it's, it's a testament to them that they've been able to just sort of, because um, people had them as, as a bottom four, bottom six side this year. 
Uh, and and because they were down low again last year, but as it always seems to be with the Swans, they're never down for long, Jake. They're never down for long, and they've just been able to plug these players in. Some of them have played, you know, a handful of games, or, or like you said, Christian Tom McCartan, who's played a handful of games down in defence, uh, and and they're just they're just doing the job. I think Sydney have a, so many underrated players that will probably become fairly rated as the year progresses. Um, Christian just mentioned Ollie Florent. I mean. No one talks about Ollie Florent, but man, he's a very consistent, very good football player. And then you Jordan got Callum Dawson. Mills. And Callum, Midf- Callum Mills, very good. I, I was saying Isaac Heaney last week is a player that we don't really consider in the top sort of echelon of those mid forward type players. Um, what I love about Sydney this year is the fact that you probably go back a year ago or, or, or 18 months and say that Sydney's two best players were Buddy and uh, Josh Kennedy. They're not reliant on either of those players. Buddy has barely played any football. When he played, it was a bonus, and you know he played pretty well. And it looks like he's going to play again in round four. And Kennedy's a bonus in the midfield now. Like yeah. if, if you can get a good, if you can get a 20, 25 uh, possession, you know five six clearances out of Kennedy in a game, massive bonus. But they don't need him. Parker's playing. Luke Parker's playing really well. Callum Mills in the midfield is has been brilliant. We know Heaney can go through there. And then you've got all the youngsters around as well. I, I think it's just such a great mix. And they're not reliant on their senior players anymore. It's being really driven by the youngsters. And the, uh, the other part for Sydney for me is, um, again, when we talk about when they were successful back, you know, early, late 2000s, early 2010 sort of thing, was the, the one-on-one high stoppage uh, congested game where it was just Sydney were going to keep you honest every time. Um, you know, they they sort of had that slingshot when they had Lewis Jetter in the team and a little bit of end and ball movement, but they've never been one of the teams that, you know, highly skilled that you love to watch. Again, this year, number one for best the best kick rating in the competition, best for retention going inside 50, number one for marks inside 50, number one for scores inside 50. So it's not just their setup and their players, but they, they're also bringing the skill all of a sudden. They're the most skillful side going around in and harder to score from a, from a turnover. So, it is. It's been an outstanding sort of first three rounds from Sydney, and it's not like it's just one part of their game that they're sort of they're fixed. And it might, you know, and you sort of say, well, you've got to hold on Sydney. They might not be as good as they are because teams will figure it out. At the moment, as I said, if you if you can nut, nut out the turnover game and beat, you know, sort of um, destroy teams on the turnover game plus use the ball as well as they're using, it's not like an easy, you know, as an opposition coach, it's not just one thing you've got to look at for Sydney and go, that's how we beat them. They they become a complete team overnight, it seems. Mm. And here's well, something that really highlights just how good they are. I mean, if you look at, yes, they're three and zero, but but you know, it's, you can be three. You look at who they're beaten. I mean, they're beaten Richmond. They're beaten the best team in the comp of the last at the, five at the MCG. At the MCG, they've beaten Brisbane as the team many thought could go on and win the win the flag this year. That and then if you actually go back to the last game of last season, they lost to Geelong by six points, a game they probably could have won on another day. So in their last four games, they've beaten Richmond, Brisbane and lost to Geelong by a kick. You know, they're the three best teams in the comp, Geelong, Brisbane and um, Richmond. By most, most people would probably say that. So they're not just bullying some average teams. They're beating the best. And I guess 3-0, and can we see them not making finals? Like, are they – I don't know what the stats are, but I feel like you've got to be – you're well, they have were, to get they were something Norton, wrong to not make it now. They were Norton six and still made the finals a few years back, so they could probably be yeah. six and zero and still miss if if you sort of go by that sort of logic. Uh, we need to move on though. We've we've uh, we've got to, more to get through um, from a team that we're surprised by to a team that we're also surprised by, but in the other sense, uh, St Kilda, one and two, lethargic looking um, 
their loss to Essendon was, I, I don't think I've seen a side that was more disappointing this week than what St Kilda dished up. I think you can, I think you can go further and say it was easily the worst performance anyone's dished up all season. So I know the season's not very long. It's the worst performance by team um, this year so far, and that includes North's loss over. We, we don't have expectation on North. We have a lot of expectation on the Saints. Mm. Um, they've Agreed. brought in some some quality players. They had a good year last year, and we were looking to for improvement this year. And all of a sudden, they're in a real hole now. And I think if you look at the fixture. The Saints fans have got to be a bit nervous because all of a sudden, in three or four weeks' time, you could be putting a line through the Saints. Well, West Coast at home, so at Marvel, and then Richmond at Marvel, and then Port Adelaide at Adelaide Oval. They could be one and five um, in uh, through six rounds, which is a bit concerning. Um, look, I think it was the pressure, the lack of pressure against the yeah. Bombers. Look, I don't want to take anything away from Essendon because they had a shock of the week before and they came out and they did play much better, but. 75 points, the lack of pressure, it was just, it was horrible. And I, I didn't expect that from a, I really admire Brett Ratton. I think he's a terrific coach, but I'm really surprised with the way they came out. And it never improved throughout the game. They never looked like they were going to get themselves back into it. And I think they also lost to the D's the week before. And you take Jack Steele out, who's been comfortably their best player in both those two games. Gee, they both could have got even more ugly than they did. Mm, speaking uh, of the D, oh, sorry, is Christian going? I was going to say, I'd add it round one to that. I know they got up over the Giants, but even that Just. game, we, we sort of said, um, we looked at the stats and the Giants won the contested possessions by 30 that game, which was their biggest win in that stat in a loss. But again, I sort of I made the comment that we knew it was it was flooded in Sydney all week. They knew what game style they were going to play. And surely the first thing was, let's let's win the contested footy. We need to get in and under. They, they got smashed in that. Yeah, they got the four points and they won. Um, so that probably, you know, helps mask over the cracks a little bit. But even for me, the, the round one game, the plus 30 in contested possessions against Melbourne week two, they were negative 30% for scoring once inside 50. So Melbourne went inside and scored. St Kilda went inside and just couldn't find a target or score. And then this week was their their third worst uh, pressure differential they've ever recorded. The second biggest differential of anyone in the last five years. Um, and I think it was their lowest tackling efficiency ever recorded. So not getting tackle sticks. So there's three, three different areas of concern each week, but, yeah, as I said, they're, they're very big areas of concern in terms of contested ball one week, not being able to score next and pressure the third week. So, mm. Well, as I said before, the Swans were Norton 6 and still made finals a few years back. So the Saints, even if they do continue this slow start to the year. Well, yeah, but uh, I think Jade Gretchen's <laughs> a big loss. And big well, time. Can, let's answer it. Can they make, can, will they play finals this year? Uh, not, not the way that they're going, no. No, no, no I, not, not the way they're going. Will they play finals? Will they No, I don't it, think they will they... now. Because I think there are too many teams around that mark, that seven to twelve mark, that are just better than them at the moment. So particularly when you've given some of those teams like Melbourne and like yep. Sydney a head start already, yep. I think Agreed. it's hard to come back. Speaking of the D's, your man uh, Cosy Pickett, Jake. He's his stocks have been up in our stocks up stocks My down man. column two oh. weeks in a row. Uh, so his stocks are rising at a phenomenal rate. Um, another outstanding performance on the weekend, and arguably a goal of the year contender. Well, I was actually stunned that, that the goal that he kicked where he where he picked the ball off, uh, went around his back almost, beat two players and snapped it over his shoulder. I'm surprised. Normally, someone kicks any goal that's half decent and the commentators are screaming that it was goal of the year. I'm surprised that didn't get a mention because I, I would be stunned if that one, that goal doesn't turn out to be goal of the year. I think something incredible is going to have to be done to beat that. Um, what a player. Just... So much energy brings so much life to that that forward line for the D's, and 
I reckon he's a player that, and I'd like to see him play a little bit more in the midfield as he develops, but I think he's just so, such a dynamic, exciting footballer, and it's exactly what the Demons needed uh, yeah. in what has It was a bit of a lethargic forward line, wasn't it? In a bit of a stale, slow, lethargic forward line, I agree. Yeah, and, um, yeah, he'd be he'd be so interesting to see. I mean, he's had a few um, appearances at centre bounces, and he does get into stoppages. But his ability so far from the three games this year, anyway, to move the ball from congestion into space in just the full, you know, most of most of his work's been done in the forward fifty. That's going to be his greatest strength. I think it's like you know, similar to Scott Pendlebury and Trent Cotchin at his best. They're able to sort of be you're in and under, but you can either run it out of the pack yourself or you know fire out a handball or kick it. That's that's the one thing I've noticed with a couple of his work at the stoppages, just his ability to work the ball into space. Um, and you're right, he, he can win it himself and he can kick the, the amazing goal. So, uh, yeah, hopefully he becomes a 50-50 sort of mid-forward because I think he's got, yeah, tools to sort of we use all over the ground. We see a lot with some of these good players. I mean, you know, um, Dusty obviously does it a lot. The goalie does it a lot. Um, Toby Green can go in there. And, and I, I, I loved, loved seeing him playing in the mid, getting in going into the centre bounce and then pushing forward. Mm. Um, he's got the tricks. Yeah, he's an exciting player to watch. These have looked really good. Uh, and, and I've got a couple of Melbourne supporting friends who have just been saying, it's all Choco, it's all Mark Williams. And he came on uh, tra- on on board as a development coach in December. Uh, and um, he's previously worked with, with Richmond and Dusty. Uh, he's a good teacher, uh, passionate about what he does, as you can probably tell, uh, whenever he fronts the media. And he, he's, he's the sort of player that you want around your footy club, I think. And the, and the Demons have picked a good one there. So... Maybe we can uh, contribute some of their improvement to him as well. Uh, we'll. We'll see how we go. Hey, we're running out of time uh, pretty quickly, but we've got to get through some justified hype or hyperbole statements where I'll say a statement and you guys tell me whether the hype is justified or I'm speaking in hyperbole. Uh, Jake, I know we were talking about the Swans' finals chances, but can they can win the flag this year, can't they? Uh, they can. I don't know if they will, but I definitely <laughs> think they can. Yeah. Why can't they? Will, will um, they win the flag this year? No, they won't win the flag this year, but they'll they will have they'll make the finals, and I reckon they can win a final too. I, I'm excited by the Swans. They're scoring. I think that's the that's the thing we overlook a lot of the time. They're scoring, and they've scored against good teams. Yeah. I think there's a lot to like about the Swans. Uh, Christian Harry Mackay is Carlton's mo- most important player. Uh, ooh, almost justified hype, but it goes back to a similar point we were sort of saying earlier. Just being able to have a key forward target and that's something um as a Carlton supporter I've noticed that you know a few years ago when we had Chris Judd and that you know and then Favola left was that you can work as as hard as you want as a midfield and you can get as many inside 50s but if it just keeps coming out of there or the defenders keep picking it off um it gets hard the thing with Harry McKay take out his seven seven goals five or whatever is his ability to get there get to contest in the air um you know had a pretty good one-on-one duel with Darcy Moore the week before and I know Darcy Moore ended up taking five intercepts still but Again, I think that's what he's going to make. It's, he's going to give you more value for your inside fifties, which again, that just that holds the, the whole team in good stead because it means the midfielders, the defenders are getting more uh, reward for their work further up, further up the field. So, um, yeah, it could be close to the most important player. Similar vein, Jake. A midfielder won't win the Brownlow Medal this year. No, that's an overreaction. It's a midfielder's award. We all know that. Um, you know, if you look at the Brownlow predictor, yes, I've got Tex on top, but we're three rounds in. Like. We're not 17 rounds in where we need to where we need to um, start thinking about it. Fair not going to happen. Fair enough. Uh, Christian, Geelong's game style won't hold up in 2021. Oh, hyperbole. They've, uh, Geelong's been one of those teams that's always been, again, 
you can go back to the narrative and pick any random week of any of the past three or four seasons and Geelong either play too slow, according to the media, or they play too fast. Um, I don't think they've ever got the perfect game style. And it's, you know, they still haven't won that elusive flag in the last, you know, since uh, um, 2011. But no, I think at the moment, the first week, first two weeks, they got opened up um, and got scored very heavily against. So they slowed it down a lot against Hawthorne um, on Easter Monday. Uh, but Geelong's one of those teams that just has enough talent and enough experience to yeah. sort of they, – they can change their game style within a season. We've seen it in each of the past three years. So just just hold and wait with Geelong because they'll, they'll fix things. And last of all, Jake, North is the worst team we've seen in the past decade. It's a bit harsh, isn't it? Oh, oh I know. It's, it's, it's very much, you know, off the back of the weekend, but it's close to being justified if you're not including the um, – Gold Coast 2011 the, – well, yeah, if you're not including the expansion clubs, I mean, the D's had some lean years. Yeah, I'm going to say it's justified. I, I really think they're going to have a shocker this year. Yeah, they're going to. Well, they're going to have to to reload, aren't they? They're just going to have to take the pain. Uh, clubs have to do it sometimes. You just got to sort of cut what you can, um, bottom out, and then and then have another go. So, well, fair enough. Hey. We've got to go. We've, uh, we've run a little bit over time, but before we do go, we've got uh, Roko coming again this week with another good column, Jake. Yes, uh, we spoke earlier about the, the return of the full forward, and um, Roko oh, loves it. Loves loves players kicking bags, and he'll be uh, all over it. And just just explaining why it's a good thing for footy and and why we're going to see it more uh, going forward. So that'll be uh, out. Uh, tomorrow. tomorrow morning. So Wednesday, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. We've also got Josh Nunkley returning for another column as well. Uh, so catch that later in the week, espn.com.au forward slash AFL. Uh, get your tips in as well. Don't forget, again, another short week. For, starts on Thursday. So get them in. Guys, thanks for joining me. Uh, and we will speak to you all in the next one. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod, wherever you get your podcasts.